0: of a series uh, through the book of Revelation. So we're working on our attitude for the next six weeks. And uh, we want to say our verse, and then we're going to go reference the verse and then the reference. So would you say it with me? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5. So we're working on our attitude. If you want to remember... And if you haven't been here, let me catch up really quick. We're in modern-day Turkey, and we have started in Ephesus, and Ephesus' problem was that they were loveless. And it's interesting that we're working through the book of Ephesians, which was written to the church at Ephesus, and they were good doctrinally, but they lost their love. Then last week, we jumped up to Smyrna, about 35 miles north of Ephesus. And we talked about Smyrna, meaning like myrrh, and you can't get the good stuff from myrrh until you face persecution. So last week, we talked about the persecuted church, and we talked about Polycarp, and that was an interesting study for me. So tonight, we're in Pergamos. Everybody say Pergamos. And in Pergamos, it's modern-day Berkama, Berkama, Turkey. So that is where we're at. We're modern-day Pergama. And it is one of the earliest settled cities by Rome. It's about 50 miles north of Smyrna. So we're on this track and we're going 50 miles north. And then we're going to hang a right and we're going to go right eventually. But Pergamos is uh, 50 miles north of Smyrna. Now the big thing, if you have different titles in your Bible, if you have the same type of Bible I have, it says the compromising church. So it's all going to be about the big idea, the big word this morning is compromise. Because what was happened is there's a temptation to compromise the loyalty and the morality to God. There's a lot of false doctrine it's coming into the town of pergamos and we're going to talk about what it means and why they have so much false teaching and false doctrine i had one of those oh wow that's really interesting moments and i hope that you will as well and if anything go wow i didn't know that so it's interesting that we're going to go to uh compromising this morning all right so if you have your bulletins i'd encourage you to turn it over i put some notes in there that you can fill in as we go through this uh, new church, if you will. The first one is the standard. Now it's interesting, I tried to be creative and as I studied these churches, it's the same outline For every single church, there's one who has the authority, then he's going to talk about what they're doing right, he's going to talk about what they're doing wrong, he's going to give them a promise, or if you will, a motivation to keep going, and and a promise that if you repent, I will go, and then there's going to be a final challenge, and so you could have that for all these churches, I just tried to get more creative, so, I didn't come with you for the same outline week after week, and you say, You didn't take any time studying, you just used the same message from last week. So, I try to get creative, but the standard comes from the person who has the authority. There is someone that's going to speak truth to this church who knows what's going on. Ultimately, we know it's Jesus Christ, and so he's going to tell John what to write. All right, let's look at verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamos. All right, so there's a specific angel that's going to write this. All right, so John is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God is telling him what to write. John is writing this down, all right? This is important. This is an important word to the church in Pergamos, all right? They have a different struggle than the church in Smyrna. They have a different struggle than the church in Ephesus. This is the struggle of Pergamos, okay? He says, write these things, all right? You write this down. This is important. These things says he who has the sharp Two-edged sword. Now, I thought about bringing in a my double-edged sword. There's just one problem. I don't bring a sword to a gunfight. I don't have a sword. I thought about bringing in my cutco knife, but I didn't want you to get nervous, and, and I didn't want you to think about it, but I put a, a picture of a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. Now, some of you that are Bible scholars, you're already thinking about, well, what is the double-edged sword? Well, it's sitting right in your lap. It's sitting right in the pew in front of you. It is God's word. It is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, for the word of God is living and powerful. Do we believe that God's word is living and powerful? Because if you do, it's going to change everything. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Remember one time I talked about the time I was trying to be a contractor, and I had the saw, and I took my hand down the saw? If you don't remember that story, I'll tell you afterwards. There is a sword that is so sharp. There is a knife that is so sharp that it cuts so quick. It cuts so easy. That is the word of God and it comes and it ministers to us and we re- when we read it we look at this and say ouch that really hit that hit me hard that cut me deep because god's word is here to help us to grow and to and to learn all right so look at hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for the word of god which is your copy of God's word, it's living and powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. There's so little gap between your joints and your marrow that there's it, it's not even visible to the naked eye, but God's word can cut right to it. And sometimes what happens is people come up to me, it's not every week, But they go, how could you know I was going through that? How could you speak to that? Did my husband, did my wife tell you that I was going through that? No, that's just the powerfulness of God's word. And it says that it can can separate the joints and marrow and discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So as we look at this, this church, it's going to compromise. We need to understand there is a standard. There is a standard to how the church should be run. It should be run by the double-edged sword, which is the word of God. And so what happens, this church, it's struggling with compromise because it's not holding true to the standard of God's word. And you can almost see as we go into it, they come in, they go, does God's word really say that? Do we want to go that far? Do we want to be that radical? Well, yeah, we do. Because it's the only thing that can change lives. You didn't come here to hear from me. And if you did, you might leave here disappointed. Hopefully you came here ready to be challenged and ultimately changed by God's word. And that church, this church in Pergamos, they were falling away from the standard. I don't want us to fall away from the standard. I don't want us to deviate from God's word because this is the only standard that we need to have. Let's keep going. So I started to, to, to go through the sacrifice because this church, they have a standard and they're waffling, they're wavering on the standard, but now they're going to face some sacrifice. There's the problem, there's the challenge that they're facing, and this is what happens. He says, Jesus says, I know your works. All right, let's pause. This church, they are doing well. They're doing good things for the name of Jesus. They're doing what we would call today evangelism. They're doing discipleship. They're doing growth. They're working into the community. They're making their message known. They're encouraging. They're equipping the saints. All those, if you will, buzzwords we're using today, they are doing it. He says, I know what you're doing. I see the works that you're doing. I see that you're there. He says, and I know where you dwell. It's interesting. This word dwell is the same thing as having roots. So this church, it's planted, and it's not just passing through. They are staying here, and they are dwelling. They are putting roots, and they are living where their church is. It's so important. Where you are is where you dwell, and that is where your influence needs to be. So I'm going to put it in the words of Tom. I'm going to say Jesus sees what they're doing, the outreach they're doing, the discipleship they're doing, and they are living where they're worshiping. They're going to church, if you will, where they're at. They're dwelling in a place that is not honoring to God because of the surrounding, because of the culture. And Jesus sees it and says, but that's where you're planted. What a great opportunity for them to share the gospel because they're living at Satan's throne. Satan has a throne. It's interesting. If you want to write down 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we remember that the devil or Satan, he is the prince of the power of this world. So he has a throne. Now there's four different theories that are out there. And this is where I had my aha moment. The first theory, I'm not going to go through all four. I'm going to give you two. The first one is there's the house of Zeus or the throne of Zeus. Now this is where false worship would happen. I'm here to honor Christ. I'm not here to honor a false God, but we need to understand the culture that that this church in pergamos was in they had a temple or a shrine or a throne to zeus now zeus was the god of the sky or the god of the shine and he was their highest quote god little g so they would worship him and then everything else would fall into place and that is anytime you worship a god other than god of the bible it is false worship And the devil, he's coming in there, and he's having this heyday because people are worshiping the wrong God. And they're just walking astray. They're not following the commands of God. They're not following the standard, and they're starting to deviate. So he says, hey, I see this throne of Satan, and he could be thinking of this throne of Zeus. The other thing, and this is where the big aha moment was, there was this false god. His name was called Ascipilus. Ascipulus. Ascipulus. I have it written out right here. Ascipulus. right. Ascipulus. He is the false god of healing. Now, this is where it gets really gross. right. I'm just gonna be honest. This this does not fly for the book of Tom. right. Uh, this is not part of me. This false god, he was depicted by a serpent or a snake. Where do we see the devil depicted as a serpent or a snake? Genesis 3. And so what would happen, these folks that were following and looking for healing came to the temple of Asclepius, and they would come with their infirmities, they would come with their sickness and what they would do was they would lay on the floor of this temple hoping and or quote praying that his snakes would come and roll over them and crawl over them. Just, just take me out right now. Don't ever let a snake crawl over me. Please, beloved, get me, all right? The only, my, you know what my favorite snake is? Amen. All right. My favorite snake's a dead snake. All right. All right. I mean, if, if it's dead, it's not dead enough for me. So I don't want to get too funny. But what happens here? Hey, come on back. There is this false belief that this false God is going to heal people. And people will come from all over to this temple to lay down. Hopefully, that this, this snake would come. And it's interesting. You go, oh, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know. Really, what triggered it for me was, you know what this symbol is today? This is a symbol of our medical staff. Did you know that? I didn't. All right, so come on back. Tom is not condemning every doctor or nurse that is there. I am able to stand here because God worked through doctors and medical staff. I'm not here preaching against doctors and medical staff. Do you hear me on that? Are you with me on that? Don't go out and misapply. So Tom says down with health care, down with medical doctors. Tom's not saying that. Are you with me? Okay. I just found it really interesting that our medical system, our medical team, our healthcare, their symbol dates the whole way back to at least 90 AD to this false God. So here comes John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, going, I see where you're at. Jesus says, I know your works. I see where you're at. I see where you're dwelling. You're living in all of this falseness all of this false worship with zeus and with escapulis and i see that this is the throne of the devil could be literally because of all the snakes crawling around i see that i see that this is where you live beloved where it needs to get the gospel they need to get the gospel because they don't know and it is so easy to go where it's easy to be a christian But the gospel needs to go to people that don't know that they don't know. And when you hit people that don't know that they don't know, there's going to be pushback. And so he says, hey, I see your works. I see where you're living. I know that you're living around Satan's throne. He says, but or and, you hold fast. It's like we get on that branch, and if you let go of that branch, you're falling down. You're holding strong. You're holding steady. You're holding fast to the name of Christ. It is not fun. It is not, quote, popular, especially where the throne of Satan is. They're gonna face a lot of persecution, a lot of backlash. He says, but I see you're standing strong. You're continuing to go out in my name. You're continuing to live there. You're not running away. You're not flocking, and you're holding fast. He takes it a step further. He says, you did not even deny my faith even in the days with Antipas. So there's a guy here, we don't know anything except this fact about him. He was persecuted, and he was martyred for his faith. Commentators assume, so we're not going to build a church on it. We can go with tradition about this man. The tradition says that they roasted him to death inside of a brass bowl. That's what tradition says, that he was not willing to go and do the false worship. He was not willing to worship Caesar. He was not willing to worship these false gods. So they went and they killed him. They killed him and they persecuted him. Now, if you would sit in here and someone would say, I'm going to start facing persecution, you're going to sit in a pew going, is this really worth it? Am I willing to go for that, knowing that I'm sitting here? And this church, look what Jesus says. He says, I know where you're at. I know what you're going through, but you're continuing to hold fast to my name. Who was killed among you where Satan dwells? So there's man lost his life. Found a commentator said this. He says, don't compromise to avoid the suffering or the persecution. What happens is when we really get pushed to shove, and we, do you really believe that? Ah, oh, well, I don't know. The, sta- the, the push today, the challenge for today is don't avoid suffering. Hold true to the standard. So here comes this church. They're standing up saying, this is the standard. This is God's word. This is what we need to follow. And then here comes Antipas. Boom, he's taken out. And Jesus says, hold true. It's not always popular. It's not always easy. If it was easy, then everyone else would do it. But we are called to hold to the standard of what God's Word says. So just put in your mind's eye, they're going to this Greek god, Asclepius, and they're saying, hey, he, his snakes are gonna crawl over me and he's gonna heal me. You stand up and go, that's not what God's Word says? And that brought on persecution. Our rub comes with, we don't want to be compromising to avoid sticky situations, to avoid persecuted and persecuting opportunities. Hold true to the standard. What is the standard? It's a double-edged sword. What is a double-edged sword? It's sitting on your lap. It's God's word. Let's keep going. So he says, be aware. So he says, hey, there's a standard. You're you're facing persecution. This is what you're doing right. This is the struggle, though. He says, but be careful. Be warned. Be aware. But I have this against you. I got a few things against you. You ever know? You ever have that meeting we go with your boss, and they go, hey, I want to come and tell you about this, and, and they try to, quote, butter you up, and you know, just, just, give me, just hit me with what's bad. That's all I'm going to remember, because if I tell you 10 good things, and I tell you one bad thing, what's the one thing you're going to remember? The bad thing. So he says, hey, I have a couple of things against you. The church is doing good. But you need to be aware, all right? So let's see what they got to be aware about. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, all right? If you want to write in your Bibles, Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. Balaam was the prophet of God. And remember, he had the donkey, and the donkey talked to him. Now, the reason the donkey talked to Balaam was because Balaam was a prophet of God. But Balaam had a message, but Balaam, he wanted to make money. And the king, Balak, paid the prophet, Balaam, to change the message, to change it from a blessing to a cursing, because he wanted to curse Israel, because Balaam was interested in money. And what's interesting here is he says, be careful, you have those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. There's false teachings coming into the church I started a Google search of all the false teachings that are in today's church and I have them highlighted here in my notes but one thing I'm struggling with is I don't want to talk about everything that's false I want to I want to show you and help you understand what is true because when you understand and know what's true, you can see a false way off in the distance. It's like my buddies at the Secret Service. Remember, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to the Secret Service. Remember my code name? Bald Eagle. Right, all right. So when I have my earpiece in, I'm Bald Eagle. They, they, their job is not only to secure the president. Their job, first of all, is to, fate, is to make sure our economy remains safe. And they look at all the false bills coming through. You know how they study? They don't study all the false ones. They study the true one. And then they can spot the fake. Same thing happens with us. So you can look and say, what is all the things that are false and why they're wrong? And there's a time and a place for that. You understand me on that? I would like us to study God's word that is true. It's the standard. Then we can see a false one coming in the distance. All right? So the doctrine of Balaam who brought who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. This is what he did. He told them to eat things sacrificed by idols, which is what God's word, the standard says, don't do. Then also he had them marry pagan women, and they committed uh, immorality. This is what they're doing. This is what's happening in the church. There is a group of people called the Nicolaitans. So what John does, what Jesus does, he goes back to the Old Testament, let me go this way, get you right way. He goes back to the Old Testament, says, "This is what happened in the Old Testament. This is what happened. This is what dealt with it. Let me bring it back to the New Testament. This is how you see it today. Let's go to the same thing. Thus, you have also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans wanted to mix religions and get the both, the both the best worlds. Can we affirm our gods, little g? Can we affor, affirm Zeus? Can we affirm the God of healing? Can we do that? But can we also affirm your God and have the best of both worlds? No, but that's what the Nicolaitans wanted to do. And they're bringing this false teaching into the church. Which thing I so is Jesus kind of, oh, I don't know about this? No, Jesus draws a line and says, this is the standard. And I don't like these guys. He actually uses the word, the King, new King James says, I hate this, this is bad teaching. It's leading people astray. Now I wanna stop here and go back to Ephesus, all right? This one, 2.15, is what happened in Pergamos, all right? Thus you have those who hold to the doctrine of Nicolaitans. I just read that, which thing I hate. So this church in Pergamos, They have caved, they have compromised, and they've allowed the doctrine, the false teachings, into the church, and they don't really even, quote, care. But look at what happened in Ephesus. Same people, look, he says, but this you have. So he's going to affirm the church in Ephesus. He's going to say that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Interesting, same group of people, two different reactions or responses to the false teaching our church today pergamos they've endorsed it they like it they affirm it in 2 6 the church in ephesus they don't have their love in their church but he says hey at least you don't allow false teachings into the church look at the difference the difference pergamos is caving to the standard they're not holding the sufficiency and the supremacy of scripture And they're allowing this false teaching to work its way in. Now, it doesn't work in. It just doesn't come in the front door and kick it in and go, hey, I'm here. It slides in very slippy. Very, very slowly does it come in. We need to be careful. We need to watch. How do we be careful? How do we watch? We read God's word. And I hope, I trust, I pray that when you go home, you just don't take my word for it. Don't go home and have... Um, Sunday afternoon pastor barbecue you know what Sunday afternoon pastor barbecue is that's good stuff <coughs> side a slaw on the side you're good to go but what happens is you go home and you criticize I, I want you to go home and go I didn't understand that point let me go study God's word and you get, dig into your commentaries read different commentaries don't just go to one don't just read one and go with that lane. Read two, read three, read four. Dig into God's word because we don't want false teachings coming into our church. Now, come on back to me for a second. We don't have false teachings that I'm aware of. So don't sit here and go, hey, was Tom preaching to this person, that person? No, I'm just saying this is what's next in the series. But we need to make sure we hold to the standard. The standard is God's word. All right, let's keep going. Uh, he says in verse 16, <clears throat> so look at this. They're in sin. They're struggling. They've missed the mark. They've fallen to the standard. There's false teaching going in. So let's just kick them to the curb because they're done with. They're over with. No, that's not what God's word says. Verse 16, it's the grace. He says, repent. What's it mean to repent? Turn and change your course. 180 degrees. If you're heading east, you turn west. If you're heading north, you head south. If you're going false teaching, you turn and you follow the standard, which is God's holy word. He says, repent. Stop it. And don't just kind of mean, sorry, I got caught. Actually, stop what you're doing. A true heart repentance to say, God, I only want to follow you. Repent or else. You ever have that as a parent? You ever hear that as a kid? Knock it off, or else there's the ultimatum. Here's grace, repent, and if you don't repent, I'm gonna come and take care of it, or else I will come to you quickly. This is, again, not the second coming of Christ that we are living under anticipation. This is Jesus coming down, and he's gonna deal swiftly with this church because they won't deal with it themselves. You go and take care of it, or I'm gonna come and take care of it for you, but either way, we're taking care of it get it out of my church why because i hate their teachings get it out is jesus serious about this yeah are we serious about it oh i don't know that's pretty radical it's pretty pretty brazen you're saying all that i'm just telling you what i believe god's word saying the standard and what happens is the standard continues to get moved and we don't even know it let's get back to the standard of god's word says, I'll come to you quickly. Jesus is coming. You know, Pre-October 25th, I was pretty quick. I'm getting there. Jesus is coming quick. Hey, you take care of So I'm not going to just kind of saunter there. Boom, I'm there and we're going to take care of it. And I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What is the sword of his mouth? He's going to come with them to the word of God. And anytime we have conflict, anytime we have questions, anytime we have a disagreement, we should go to God's Word. Because this is what separates bone from marrow, joints from the marrow. So finally, he's going to talk about a gift. All right, so look at it. Again, great way to deal with conflict. There's the standard. There's the one that has the authority, the one that has, if you will, the beef or the, the angst that has and the one to speak the truth. There's the things that are going right. There's the affirmation. There's what you have to deal with and change. And then here is the promise or the blessing or the affirmation that's gonna happen if they repent, all right? So great way to work through conflict in your own life and with someone else. I don't like to deal with conflict. A great pattern for dealing with it. All right, let's go to verse uh, 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, again, this is a great reminder. What is repeated is important. Look at Ephesus. Look at Smyrna. Look at Pergamos. Hey, look at Thyatira. Look at all the other churches that are coming. He's going to end with this. It's important because what happens is we sit here and we think, I'm so glad the person sitting beside me is here to hear about this because they need to hear about it. And we miss the message that God has for you and God has for me. So, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to churches. There is a big message for this individual church. The standard is, we need to make, the the message is, let's hold to the standard of God's Word. As a church, if it's Sunday school, if it's morning worship, if it's evening worship, if it's a small group, if it's Wednesday night, if it's a Thursday night, if it's a Friday morning, the standard always needs to be God's word. Are you with me this morning? But what happens is we can say, yep, that's the message for the church. That's the, if you will, the vision coming out from the pulpit. We need to be holding true to God's word. But then there's some of us. And I'm going to step really lightly on your toes that your standard is not God's word when you're not in these four walls. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to do church. That sounds good. I'll even put out an amen. But when it comes to your private life, your standard is whatever you can get away with. Your standard is whatever is easiest, whatever causes the less distraction, whatever causes the less of a road to compromise. And I wrote down this. It says, uh, our natural tendency is to drift Towards compromise. Compromise leads to an easier path with less resistance and less pain. Think about this false worship that's going on. I showed you. It would be a whole lot easier just for that church to go, yeah, that's kind of what they're doing. They do their thing. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make them a, a big deal out of it because I don't want to be persecuted because of my buddy Antipas, who was just made an example of. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sink down. I'm not gonna really push it. But Jesus comes and says, hey, here's a standard. Are you going to follow the standard? And what happens in your life is it's January 26th, 25th, somewhere around in there. There's this little thing called April 14th coming. It's tax day. And the IRS is coming. Oh, I'll just kind of change that number. And I'll make that zero one and make forget to add a zero. And I'll just make my own standard. Look at this. Our natural tendency is to drift towards compromise. Don't drift. Don't drift. Stay true to the standard of God's holy word. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Big church, this, all of us together, and then God is speaking to each one of us through his word. Don't you compromise. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. What does that mean? I'll get to that in a second. And I will give him a white stone. What is that about? I'm so glad you asked because I did some study on that. The hidden manna, a couple different theories coming from this, or different beliefs, or different thoughts from this hidden manna. The first thing is there was hidden manna or manna that was put into the Ark of the Covenant when the Israelites went through, uh, Exodus chapter 16. And that was a reminder of God's provision while they were in the wilderness. Some commentators say, yep, that's it. Some commentators are saying, you know, what it, really what it is, is it's a picture that Jesus is the bread of life. And what happens in John chapter 6, Jesus is the bread of life. And those who follow Christ will be taken away, and they will be able to enjoy this hidden manna or this hidden life, which we would call eternal life, when the time comes. I'm okay with either one. Both point to Christ. Both point to his provision. Now, there's a white stone that is given as well. Two different theories on the white stone. It's when you were given when you were in a championship and you won a championship. When you won the race, you were given a white stone, and that white stone showed victory. It was given to only the one that was to win the race, and then that was your, quote, ticket to get into the banquet to have the celebration of all the other winners. So there was a special feast for all the other winners, and I could get in by having a ticket, which is the white stone. The other theory with the white stone is if we would go to court and there will be a judgment given, there will be a white stone and a black stone. The black stone you would hold up if you believe the person was guilty. The white stone you would hold up if you believe the person was innocent. That both fits with the, with the scripture here. Look at what it says here in verse uh, 17 and i will give uh, let me go back here to him who overcomes i will give some to the hidden manna to eat we when we overcome when we hold true to god's word when we hold to the standard we're going to enjoy the blessings of christ eternal life not because we endure but because we have a relationship with christ the second thing is he says i will give him a white stone he or she is going to be seen as innocent they're going to be seen as victorious if both of these fit the context of what the church in Pergamos is going after. And I will give him a new stone, or I'll give her a new stone, and give a new name written on which one knows except the one who receives it. So there's going to be a new name given at some point in life after we go to be with Christ, after we enjoy the spoils of our riches. Interesting. That opened up so many questions for me. And when you have the answers, let me know, because I've got more questions now. What kind of name am I going to get? I mean, am I finally going to get the name I wanted to be named? I don't know. But we're going to get a new name that is written that no one knows except the person that receives it. A prize for holding true to the standard. Three questions, and then we're done. Have I found or received a white stone from Christ? Have you accepted the forgiveness? Are you seen as being innocent? Really, what I'm asking for is, do you have that relationship with Christ? Because this won't work unless you have the relationship with Christ. So do you have that relationship with Christ? The second one is, am I holding true to God's word and his teachings? Oh, yeah, I do it all the morning. all Every Sunday morning, I hold true to his word. I want to talk to Tuesday morning. I want to talk about Wednesday morning. I want to talk about Friday night. And the life that no one sees but you and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, are you holding true to God's word? Or are you just kind of doing church? Are you living your life according to his standard? It's so hard to do. I'm not sitting here saying it's easy, because if it was easy, everyone would do it. But it's the challenge that we are given to hold true to his word. And then the final question that you can fill in is Have I compromised? And you might, you might be here and you might feel a, a heaviness and going, I've compromised. I feel so bad. I'm under conviction of the Holy Spirit. I have guilt. Gut. However you want to put that, the Spirit is touching that. And he's pointing right there. And he's poking at you going, I've compromised. I've compromised. But you know what the grace is? Repent and you'll receive the hidden manna. Repent and you will be given the white stone. The grace of God is that there is always the opportunity to repent if we repent according to the standard. Let's close in a word of prayer. Three questions, three opportunities for me to pray for you. Is there anybody here this morning that says, you know what, Tom, would you pray for me? Because I don't think I have that relationship with Christ. And this has brought questions to me that I would like to talk to you about. Is there anybody here this morning? Slip your hand up. Is there anybody here this morning who says, Tom, would you pray for me? Because I haven't always been holding true to God's word and his teachings. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody here this morning? see that one hand. Thank you. Is Anybody else? Is there anybody here this morning who says, would you pray for me? Because I've been compromising and the Spirit's been convicting me. And would you pray that I can get back to the standard? Would you pray for me? Is there anybody here this morning? see that one hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Lord, we're so thankful for your word. It's, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it pierces. And sometimes what happens, it brings great conviction. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And Lord, really what you're doing is you're cutting away and you're showing the things that are not of you so that we can continue to be men and women that walk after you that chase after you and follow the standard of your word. And Lord, we don't live in a culture <clears throat> like the church in Pergamos does where there's false worship happening and that we're seeing, but there are opportunities for false doctrines that come into our church, that come into our lives. And God, I would pray that we would always hold to the standard of your word, that your word would be number one. And I pray for each one of us that we would evaluate our lives, And if there is one here this morning that does not have that relationship with you, may this morning be the morning that they begin their relationship with you. Lord, I pray for that one that raised their hand and said, pray for me. Lord, help us all to stand true to your word. Help us to hold true to your teachings, not just on Sunday morning, but on a Friday night, on a Tuesday morning, on a Wednesday afternoon. Help us to hold true to your word and help us not to compromise. It's so easy to compromise because we want to avoid difficult situations. Help us to stand true to Your Word, which is a standard. And Lord, as we as we close, we come just as we are, knowing that we're broken. Lord, knowing that You're the one to mend us when we live a life of repentance. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The worship team is going to come forward, so why don't you stand? And we're going.